Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander, the crossroads where culture, lifestyle, and community meet, all hosted by the legendary New York radio TV personality and proud Harlem American, G. Keith Alexander. Welcome to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. Wherever you are, I appreciate you for joining our neighborhood as we hang out together in Harlem America. Today in the What's Hot Spotlight is Craig Livingston. Craig is the managing partner of Exact Capital. He's responsible for transforming the skyline of Harlem's 125th Street with the first world-class hotel. The Renaissance New York Harlem Hotel, just a few doors from the world-famous Apollo Theater, celebrated its grand opening last night, or I should say last weekend. So it is my distinct honor and pleasure to say that Craig Livingston is what's hot. How you doing, Craig? Uh, G. Keith, I'm doing great today, man. How are you doing? Pleasure to be here. Hope you're doing well. Oh, I am. Thank you so very much. I know you're a busy man, so thank you for squeezing out some time for us. Um, what I like to do is I always ask my uh, my special guests to uh, take the Wayback Machine and tell us what it was like growing up as little Craig Livingston. Oh, man, uh, it was great. I wish I had a time machine. I could go back to 1987 and buy some stock in Microsoft, but... Um, <laughs> You know, I had a great upbringing and a great mother and father. My parents were really solid. Uh, I have a Caribbean background, Jamaican. And uh, I just felt like I was raised in a household with a lot of love, a lot of nurturing, uh, a lot of encouragement, support, et cetera. And it definitely gave me the wherewithal to uh, strive academically and also in business. And uh, lo and behold, uh, this is where I've you know ended up because of that background and that trajectory. How how did you uh, decide that business was going to be your bailiwick? G. Keith, it was never, ever even up for debate. I've been a natural businessman since the very beginning. Uh, when I was a Boy Scout. Uh, uh, I was we too. Were, and we were selling, you know, it taught you a lot of, um, uh, you know, independence and accountability. I got into business early. I had a paper route when I was uh, a young boy <laughs> and uh, I flipped that into, you know, a couple of jobs early uh, in my teenage years. I like making money. And when I discovered uh, how stocks work, uh, it was over for me. And I understood that, uh, you know, you can buy a share uh, of ownership in a company. And uh, over time, that asset can go up and you can make money passively. Uh, you know, I was sold. I understand that uh, you, you were doing that for other people and you realized that uh, you were handling their accounts and you realized that they were making so much money. You decided, well, wait a minute, I could do this myself. Is, is that uh, am I right? Well, so my background is um, I you know, went to University of Connecticut for undergrad, uh, Columbia Business School for my MBA. And I worked on Wall Street for a couple of years and I've always wanted to be entrepreneurial. In my 20s, there was a brother named uh, Reginald Lewis, who was the first black billionaire. And he wrote a really impressive book called Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun? I have but the book. Effectively, you have the book, right? It's I great. I recommend book. it to everybody. But it was effectively his autobiography. And he detailed the steps to him being able to buy TLC Beatrice and the play in the highest level of finance and mm -hmm. every brother who went to business school around the time I went to business school read that book and it was a source of inspiration and uh, when I left Wall Street and I decided to become an entrepreneur uh, I was working for other folks raising capital for, for businesses and one day I was in a, a closing and I brought all the capital and I'm looking at the closing statement and there I was, you know, a, a long list of people getting paid and expenditures. I was just one of those expenditures, but I, I brought all the capital and I played a you know vital role in putting a deal together. And I decided then if I could, you know, bring the capital, I think I have an intellectual heft to understand how to develop, then I want to be on the other side of the tape. And uh, after that transaction closed, I stuck with that developer for, for a couple of years for free just to learn. Because really? more important than the, the, the fee I was getting was the skill set mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to acquire. And that skill set is what has led to, 
you know, the, the Renaissance Harlem Hotel opening and, you know, some other, a lot of other deals that we've done, frankly. All right. So, well, let, let's talk about uh, your your early interest in uh, real estate. Uh, can you share with us what initially sparked your interest in finance and real estate development? And maybe you, you may have already just done that, but there may be just a little extra you could throw in there. Well, sure. So I've always had a quantitative mindset. And in order to be a good real estate developer, the three things you need are good financial acumen, good communication skills, and good project management skills. So my background, both with formal uh, academic training and also having been an investment banker, really prepared me well for a career in real estate. And why I was attracted to real estate is effectively because as a business, first of all, it's the largest industry in the world. And it's a need or service or product or good, whatever you want to call it, that can't be outsourced or exported, right? Everyone has to live somewhere. And in business, you really only make money because you solve the problems for someone or you provide a vital service or good that they cannot do without. And shelter, housing is effectively that. And uh, our play on real estate is to really do mixed income, mixed-use type developments where we can create vibrant, uh, economically diverse communities with people with low income, middle income, and moderate and, and market rate uh, tenants living together in a community. You know, I like the idea of young women and young men from our communities being able to see an accountant and a business owner uh, and a doctor, you know, also in that community going to work every day and that role model effect to play out in the real world for, for uh, you know, the next generation. So whenever you can do uh, real estate to that uh, level or, or in that type of model, you know, we're very interested in it. And we're doing this in many different markets around the country. Well, you know, I'm almost uh, embarrassed to say, but I will say that I went to Trump University to learn how to become a real estate developer. Uh, I didn't get caught up in the upsell where they tried to sell you to uh, uh, the uh, a more premium uh, course, uh, but I did take the, the the basic course. So and and there was a guy named Randy Daniels. I don't know if you know who Randy Daniels is. He used to be in charge of the 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 New York State. State. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, he called me one day and he said, gee, Keith, he says, I think you can handle this. I think you, you're the only person I think they could make this happen. They were going to give me that site where the Renaissance is right now when it was the Victoria Theater. But a young, but a, an older gentleman by the name of uh, Warren Blake, he, he had the theater and he owed $400,000 to Sony May. And uh, so when a friend of mine brought him down to my office, I liked the guy. He was a nice old guy. I really liked him. We became friends. I decided to to not be the 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 name in the newspaper. New York DJ uh, kicks out old man from. Uh, so I, I decided not to be that guy. So he and I became friends, and he he eventually lost that sight. But I had toured the site underneath and everywhere, and uh, I was going to put a uh, uh, on on the first floor. I was going to put a uh, restaurant, uh, which was had a radio theme like Planet Hollywood. I was going to get my radio friends uh, to donate radio memorabilia, and then it was going to be another uh, restaurant on the other side was a, a TV theme, and I was going to get my friends like uh, Sue Simmons and people like that to donate memorabilia. And then above that, I was going to put a ballroom so that people wouldn't have to go downtown. And above that, I was going to put a like a WeWorks type of thing. And uh, but I I let the whole the whole thing go. But I too wanted to be a real estate developer at one time. So, well, still that, not too late, G. Keith. Well, yeah, I guess you're right. <laughs> I guess you're right. Uh, well, okay. So now, what what inspired you? to embark on the Renaissance New York Harlem Hotel, specifically in Harlem. What, what made you want to put a hotel in Harlem? Well, we have been, so first of all, I went to school in Harlem at Columbia, 
We've been investing as a company, Exact Capital has been investing in Harlem for well over 15 years. And so the first deal we did was a condominium called Livemore Condominium on 115th of Frederick Douglass Boulevard. And we brought that to market at the bottom of the downturn. Mm-hmm. And um, we actually hit the curve pretty well uh, because uh, we had a 16-month sellout. We sold all the units uh, between December of 2009 and May of 2011. So um, I've always believed in Harlem. You know, I remember when I was in, in, in B-School, uh, and you might remember this, if you looked at a subway map of Manhattan, or map of Manhattan, it stopped at 96th Street. <laughs> as if we didn't, you know, we didn't exist. And I always thought, and back then, you know, I used to go to Abyssinian uh, Baptist Church, and Reverend Butts would always say, hey, you better get you a piece of this Harlem story before it's gentrified, and, uh, you know, we, no, we can no longer afford to be here. So I've always mm-hmm. thought of it as one of the best burgeoning markets in New York City. And I think that has definitely played out. So we've been doing deals uh, in Harlem for quite a while. We have a pretty large footprint of buildings in and around, uh, you know, upper Manhattan, the Bronx, uh, with uh, the majority of them in Harlem. And when the Renaissance, well, the Victoria RFP came out. It was originally awarded to our partner, Steve Williams, who started Danforth Development. Mm-hmm. And uh, Steve ran into some issues with the downturn having happened. And uh, I remember looking at that and saying, wow, you know, I wish I had my hands on that project. And uh, one thing led to another. We uh, expressed some interest, connected with uh, Keith Wright, who was the chairman of the Harlem Community Development Corporation back then. And told him, look, we have an idea about this project. I think you know, we know how to execute it pretty well. And uh, you know, Keith gave us a shot. So we make, were able to make a, uh, a deal with Steve Williams and then bring in uh, the Lamb Group and Goldman Sachs as a lender and investor. And we brought in the Marriott. And you know, um, what, what we didn't know was COVID was going to happen and a lot of other adversity that we had to deal with. But we fought through it all and we persevered and were extremely determined because we knew the value that this asset presented, not only to the community, but I think globally, in leveraging Harlem, which is a global brand, uh, that one day we'd be here where we would have a new full-service hotel on 125th Street that has been so well-received by the market. Certainly has a beautiful hotel, and I've been there uh, many times, as, as you know. So, okay, so the economic and cultural development how does that contribute to the Harlem community? So let me give you the, the full picture here. So okay. in that project, we have, you know, the Victoria Theater, which was originally part of Harlem's Opera Row, where you had four uh, opera houses. You had the, the, uh, the Victoria, of course, the Apollo, the Alhambra, and uh, the Harlem Opera House. And today, only the Apollo has been preserved truly as a theater. And the Alhambra has been converted to something else. The Harlem Opera House has been uh, demolished. The Victoria eventually, you know, fell into the hands of uh, the Harlem Community Development Corporation through many different uh, tiers of ownership. And an RFP was issued. And what we endeavored to do there was to create a world-class tourist destination mm-hmm. while preserving and providing opportunity for the community to participate fully in this development. So the components of the product are the following. There's a parking garage in the ground that will be opening soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the first and second story, you have the preserved facade of the, of the Victoria Theater, which we've preserved uh, precisely to its original character and it looked just like the lobby that you would walk into in 1917. We preserved it, you know, with uh, in, in accordance with uh, the State Historic Preservation Office, and it's eligible for registry on the National Landmarks Registry. Oh, really? So, okay, there's a piece of history that's been there. The blade and the marquee are still there. We reinstalled the ticket booth, right? Mm-hmm. And then, uh, as you go deeper into the site, we have retail on the first floor, we have retail on the second floor. 
we mm-hmm. preserved the original uh, staircase. When you walk into the vestibule, you see the the ceiling, uh, which is all you know historical. And then um, on the third and fourth floor of the base of of the of the building, you have the new theaters, and those theaters have uh, there are actually two black box theaters. One of them is a 99th seat theater, and the other one is a 109th uh, below 200 seats because any theater is in excess of 200 seats capacity triggers union work rules. Oh, the that's the reason. Doing that, the cost of doing a unionized production puts, you know, effectively uh, creates budgets that exceed what our local art groups in Harlem can afford and what they have budgets for. So we intentionally kept it below 200 seats so that all local arts organizations have a world-class venue where they can put on uh, productions and uh, other you know theatrical performances uh, right here in the community on a low-cost basis. So um, that's the third and fourth floor. Then on the fifth floor, of course, is the hotel lobby and there are 210 hotel rooms above. And within the hotel lobby, you know, we have a ballroom, meeting, meeting space, uh, a very nice lounge and restaurant. And then on the 126th Street side, there's another 27-story tower, which has 190 apartments. And those apartments have been done in what we call the 50-30-20 configuration, where 50% of market rate, 30% of those units are low income and 20% of those units are middle income. So we created a real economically diverse community. We did not want to do something where members of the Harlem community couldn't really participate. We could, you know, our community can live there. They can work there. They can party and enjoy themselves there and they can uh, support the arts uh, there as well. So all those components really drive a lot of economic development activity. And we hope we'll continue to uh, add to the momentum of the revitalization of 125th Street. Wow, that that's quite a complex. And of course, like I said, I've, I've been to the hotel. I've I've toured the rooms. I've, the the view from the rooms you can see all the way downtown very clearly. Uh, you have you, you're going to put a sun deck up, or not a sun deck, but a, a rooftop uh, restaurant up there as well. Uh, yes, we will, we will have a, a rooftop open next spring. Uh, I think it's nice because we have two, you know, major components left to be rolled out. So the theaters will be opening soon, and the Apollo uh, will actually be operating the theaters, um, which is great because I mean we have one of the best arts organizations in the in the world with a global brand participating in the operation of our theaters, which is fantastic. And then we of course will open the rooftop. So there's more to come, and I hope uh, everything uh, that's ahead of us is as well received as, uh, you know, the hotel and the the restaurants and everything else that we premiered already to the community. What strategies uh, are in place to uh, make the Renaissance New York Harlem Hotel a must-visit destination for tourists? Well, I mean, Keith, you've been there, right? So you see, what what we've really done is we've really leveraged the history and the cultural strength of Harlem in the design of what we've done there. So when you walk in, you see uh, the renovated historical lobby that is calling to the uh, you know the, the days of old where we had a performance house that was uh, historical. And at the time, before there was TV or movies or internet, that was the mode of entertainment that people enjoyed, live performance. So we've leveraged that, we preserved the lobby and the entrance to be exactly that, as well as the facade. And then when, you, when you're actually in, in the building, you know, you go to the elevators and what do you see? You know, you see some, some, some greats. You see uh, Ella Fitzgerald, you see uh, Dizzy Gillespie. Josephine right? Baker. Josephine uh, Baker. I mean, Cap Calloway. Right? Uh, but, but, but wait, Craig, let me kind of lay, lay the, the, the picture here for the, our audience. You walk there. There are, I think, four elevators in the lobby, and each elevator, when the door is open, you're greeted by a probably a 14 foot portrait, or not portrait, but 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 picture of Josephine Baker in one elevator, Cap Calloway in another elevator. Uh, uh, who are the other two? 
then we have Dizzy Gillespie. D- Dizzy Gillespie, and and there's one other. And w- it blew my mind because I was the MC uh, at the Palace Theater for Josephine Baker for her one-woman show at the Palace Theater on Broadway. So for, for, wow. I worked with her for a week. So when I when that door opened and I saw this picture of Josephine Baker, I was blown away. And, She's gorgeous, isn't she? Oh, she is. She is. <laughs> I'm telling you. And, and also, Cab Calloway, I, I've interviewed him. In fact, I, I had the pleasure of dating one of his daughters uh, uh, some years back. Uh, and so I was blown away when I saw Cab Calloway in the other elevator. Uh, it, it, you, and then you, you've got to tell people how the restaurant, the Victoria, how did you come up with the idea of putting the names of all these entertainers on the stairway to the upper level? Well, you know, Har- again, Harlem is a global brand. And our, too often, our culture has been monetized by people from outside of our culture. Right? And what we wanted to do was pay homage to those greats who have done so much for promoting Harlem, for promoting jazz, for promoting music, and to do it in a way in which we could really personify Black excellence. Because before Black excellence was a term, that's exactly what they were doing. When they were, we were not even considered worthy of basic human dignity Mm -hmm, in this mm -hmm. country. I mean, we had, you know, you got Josephine Baker, uh, Cap Calloway, folks just operating at the highest level of artistry and music uh, to the to the delight of the entire world. So we we're not going to leave that out. We want to make sure we promoted that and highlighted it, frankly, and leveraged it. Um, and, and the other thing is when you are on the fifth floor, but the other you have to notice that we've designed it in an art deco motif right so it's really a a throwback to the the, you know the the 30s and the 40s that great era and uh where we we have uh all those great personalities i mean we go into the rooms themselves in the hotel rooms we have poetry from langston hughes i uh, saw that it's in the ceilings right and you're you're looking at poetry from langston hughes you have the the beautiful un interrupted views of the Manhattan skyline and Central Park. And it's even better at night when it's all lit up. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we really want to do thing, do this in a way in which tourists mm-hmm. uh, from all over the world would come here and have an experience where they would really enjoy Harlem from a different perspective. When we started this, G. Keith, I remember I'd be standing on the corner of uh, Frederick Douglass and 125th and I watch these tourist bus, these double-decker tourist bus come up, mm-hmm. right? And they every five minutes, full of tourists running by, running by. It was like they were touring the zoo. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. They they wouldn't they weren't getting off. They weren't spending money in our shops. They weren't supporting our local merchants and our businesses. So the idea here is let invite these folks into the community, let them experience Harlem authentically themselves. Uh, and had to have a place to stay where they're not just driving through Harlem on a double-decker bus, but they're going to stay here, spend two, three days, you know, really enjoy the community, take a historic tour, uh, have, you know, brunch over at uh, Red Rooster or go to, uh, you know, Canaan Baptist Church and enjoy service and really just experience the community, but stay here with us and uh, support us economically. And by the way, I just also want to say, because uh, I, I did not mention this, mm-hmm. another thrust that we had was to make sure we were hiring people from the community to work here. So we have, uh, if you look in our staff of folks working in the buildings, mm-hmm. here, we've hired a tremendous amount of people from the community. So we're yes. practicing real economic development. And not only have we hired people, but when we were building the project, we spent forty million dollars with minority companies, for black really? and brown women-owned companies. Forty million dollars, making sure that we shared the economic benefits. I talk a lot about how, whenever black and brown developers are in charge of projects, we intentionally have much more economic participation from other companies that are also owned by black and brown founders. We share the wealth, keep the money in, that, in our community. 
So all this is, is all very important and it inures to the benefit of economic development of our community. Well, you know, Craig, uh, you probably don't remember this, but I called you on the phone about maybe three years ago. I was out of the blue. You didn't, I don't, I don't think you knew who I was or whatever, but I, I called you and I, and I was trying to uh, tell you about Harlem America and how we, part of our mission is to give tourists reasons to come up to Harlem and spend their money with the small businesses. And so that money will stay in the community a little longer and circulate. And with like with this show and, and, and uh, some of the other things we do, we have our analytics and we know that people from China and UK and, and, and France, they, they listen to the show, but we want to have more outreach to them and talk about Harlem and let them know that now there's a place for them to stay in Harlem when they come, they can experience all those things that you, you mentioned. Uh, and, and that's what I was trying to say on the phone, but I think you were busy when you were talking to me and you didn't know what I was talking about. And I hadn't quite developed Harlem of America yet. So it just so happens that now's the time everything is happening, uh, and everything is in place. And, uh, so we're here to, to help you bring those tours in to stay at the hotel. So tell me now about the Marriott. How does the, uh, Renaissance New York Harlem Hotel fit into the Marriott portfolio? So this hotel is what you call the soft brand. Uh, and the Renaissance itself is a soft brand. And what that means is it doesn't look like a garden inn or a um, typical, you know, cookie cutter type of hotel that you would see no matter where you go in the world. Soft brands present the opportunity to have a unique identity. And so when you look at the uh, Renaissance Harlem, you have uh, a hotel that has been designed. It leverages a unique Harlem identity. There's no other hotel in the world that looks like that. It's a one of a kind. And uh, we really appreciate it because it gives us the benefit of being in the Marriott uh, reservation system. We're part of the Marriott network. We maintain very high brand standards. It's a world-class hotel, but we also get to keep it real hard. I understand that the Marriott on their dime, they're doing some promotion with celebrities and people like that to promote uh, the Harlem Renaissance or Renaissance Harlem hotel. They, they absolutely did. They did an event uh, probably about a month ago where the, it was uh, uh, promoted globally to promote this hotel. Uh, they invited many celebrities, many influencers, and through various channels were able to, you know, highlight the Renaissance uh, Harlem Hotel and uh, to really introduce it to the world. So we really appreciate that happening. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, now you, you mentioned the... Uh the black box theaters, the, the two, and they're going to be managed and operated by the Apollo theater. What type of, um, uh, events do you think, or do you see the Apollo theater running in the hotel? And, and the, these events are not necessarily, um, uh, associated with the hotel. They're strictly Apollo theater events. No. Well, so first of all, we're very happy to have the Apollo as the manager of the cultural arts facility, but that cultural arts facility is owned by the Harlem Community Development Corporation. And it's for the entire community, right? This is not, this is not the Apollo 2.0. Uh, the Apollo has a storied history. They know more about launching talent and supporting uh, black and brown uh, creatives and they've been doing it for a long time. So we're happy to have them uh, operating th these theaters in this cultural arts facility. But there's also office space that will lend to the, the operational and the production capacity of other groups who want to rent out space on a short-term basis to be able to you know, put on their productions. We, we hope to see many, many arts groups uh, from, from the community participating not just the Apollo. I'm sure the Apollo will have uh, some theatrical productions that they'll want to run out of there, but mm -hmm. uh, folks should not think that this 
So 2.0, we want to see the next Tyler Perry coming from this community uh, and leveraging this cultural arts facility in order to start their career. We want to see the next Shonda Rhimes, you know, and the, the type of talent that we have, uh, you know, within our community flourishing here and using this facility as a, 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 a launching pad to get their, you know, arts created throughout, you know, the nation and the world. What sustainable practices have you incorporated into the development of the hotel? That, that, that's, that question right there is spoken like a true developer. <laughs> well, see, there, there's still a possibility. So the building was built in conjunction with a state program called uh, the NYSERDA Multifamily Performance Program. So there's a state agency that really works to incentivize developers to build economically efficient green developments. And so this project earned the NYSERDA Multifamily Performance Program designation. So we've done things like incorporated Energy Star appliances uh, throughout the building. We have low flow fixtures. Uh, we've utilized uh, natural gas as opposed to oil because it's better for the environment and um, is lower cost and is locally sourced. Uh, we've done a bunch of things like that. Um, you know, a whole lot of uh, conservation measures, and it's, it really allows the building just to operate in a much more um, economically feasible and environmentally friendly way. Oh, that's very good. So, and what are your key strategies for uh, a driving revenue growth for the hotel? Black excellence. Black excellence. We want to be the destination of choice for groups around the country coming to New York. We want them, you know, whether they're, you know, Greek letter organizations, the Boule, uh, you know, uh, churches, family reunions, you name it. Uh, if you're coming to New York to stay, we want you to come stay in Harlem, the capital of Black America, and we want you to be at the Renaissance. And I think you, you know, you'll enjoy it, and uh, you'll have an authentic and unique experience that hasn't been possible before. We want people in the community. Gee, Keith, you know this. Harlem is an extremely diverse and welcoming community. It right? certainly is. Certainly. And we have a lot, a, a rich history and a rich culture, and we want to share it with the world. Fantastic. Well, okay. So now, now we get to the point where, uh, how do you plan to leverage media and marketing to elevate the hotel's presence, both locally and globally? Well, I think that happens um, organically, right? So when we first opened, you know, we had uh, Fashion Week was happening. And so we did a, you know, a, a Harlem Fashion Week uh, folks came here and they put mm -hmm. on a great show. We had great parties. Um, we've had the AKAs did an event there last weekend and there was a lot of them all over the place. But we want to continue to just, you know, organically connect with different groups, have them utilize the hotel for their experience, their, you know, meetings, their uh, celebrations and to promote their events and uh, in conjunction with promoting their events, folks will know that they're doing it, you know, at the Renaissance in Harlem. How have you uh, incorporated feedback from the Harlem community in the development of the hotel? Well, let me say this. Uh, we've got a lot of feedback. So I think you're going to see some changes happening uh, relatively soon. We opened really uh, in the last week of August under a soft launch mm -hmm. and we operated for a little while worked some kinks out and then we finally had the grand opening which you attended uh the week and a half ago but we, we still i think have some areas that we could improve one of the things i like to see is harlem if you notice we don't got chicken and waffles on the menu yet right we, fix that. <laughs> we gotta fix that right <laughs> that has to be fixed we need to have a really intense uh brunch program on the weekends because we love to brunch and that's right right that's after right. church you know we don't yes yeah, so right. there, there are certain things that have to uh still 
change and be tweaked a little bit. Mm-hmm. But I would like to think that out the gate, we've uh, hit a home run. We're not perfect. We certainly can improve, but uh, we, we're welcome to all feedback. We want to make sure that all of our guests have the experience that they want. And if you know there are suggestions to be made, we're certainly here to listen. Well, the the chef at uh, Victoria is from Louisiana. Bobby, I can't remember Bobby's last name, but he's mm-hmm. from Louisiana. Now, I got to tell you, uh, I, I went back there, I spoke to him, and, you know, I was... Uh, uh, how, how can I say it? I was conceived in in New Orleans, but I was born in Chicago. Okay, and right. then I got a scholarship after I got Marine Corps and came to live. Uh, uh, I uh, got a scholarship at Fordham University, so I settled in New York City. However, I say that to say that <clears throat> I ordered one day shrimp and grits. So I'm sitting there talking to a friend of mine, and uh, the waiter. The service is very good, by the way. I must say, and they're very friendly, and uh, you got some cute little waitresses there and things. And so. Uh, she she brought the uh, shrimp and grits, and she started to walk away. And I looked at it, and I said, "Where's the grits?" <laughs> <laughs> and she came back, and she said, "It's right there." <laughs> and I down, and the the grits was fried grits now i i'd heard of some i've i'd heard of fried grits you know somewhere during the course of my life but i'd never seen fried grits and it, the grits was in like a, a little uh rectangle cake like uh and i said really well the the shrimp had sauce and it. it had the shrimps and and the sauce all over it and everything and i ate it and i was really surprised it was really delicious so yeah. Uh, is is that the type of cuisine that you, you, you're going to give it a little something special? I mean, or different, or or even with the the having the chicken and waffles, uh, the uh, is going to be different or what? Well, well, let me say first of all, I agree with you. Um, I love shrimp and grits, and and I think New Orleans is an amazing city for food. Every time I go to New Orleans, I gain a couple pounds because <laughs> you know I, I love. The cuisine there and we were really pleased to have a chef uh, from New Orleans but we also want to allow folks to have the ability to kind of you know put their own imprint on things and to innovate to some degree and uh, present classics with maybe a little bit of a invigorated new feel uh, that being said I'm glad you liked it uh, you know some people are like you know shrimp and grits you don't have to do nothing to it we want shrimp and grits Right. But as long as the conclusion is the food is good, uh, mm-hmm. that's what we want folks to walk away with, knowing that the food is good. But I do agree that there's some staples because I personally love chicken and waffles. Right. And I mm-hmm. so you're, you know, that's going to be on the menu soon. <laughs> but we want to have we want to also do things in a way in which we can innovate to some degree, you know, mm-hmm. and keep things um uh, you know, fresh and new and interesting. So not only will you see changes uh, happening, you know, uh, just just coming soon, but I think over time you'll see changes happening, uh, you know, routine. Do you have a vision for Harlem and how does the Renaissance play a part in that vision? Oh, for sure. Um Harlem right now is really going through a second renaissance, no pun intended, mm-hmm. right? When you look at the wave of investment and development development happening in Harlem, starting on the west side, I mean, Columbia University has invested $8 billion with a B wow. to create uh, an expansion of its campus all in Harlem, right? You have world-class um, science, engineering, uh, buildings uh, that are leading the forefront of uh, academic uh, discovery right here in Harlem, $8 billion. You have uh, the new Urban League headquarters that's ha- mm-hmm. a little bit to the east of us. Uh, all the way to the east, you have the um, the Proton Center, which is a you know innovative cancer treatment center, again, right here in Harlem. Mm-hmm. 
other developers, my colleague uh, Ken Morrison from Lamore Development has built an, another building right on 126th Street across from our residential building. Ed Poti has done uh, uh, Inez Francis Plaza where he's put in um, a, a bunch of new affordable housing developments and also a uh, market rate building. So those are just some of the projects on 125th Street. There are more to come. We know the Second Avenue subway is going to be extended uh, right to the middle of Harlem. And uh, the opportunities that are still right, ripe in Harlem for development are plentiful. And I think you're going to see a lot happening with 125th Street being the central area mm-hmm. that will anchor businesses, it will anchor shopping, entertainment. I think there are more hotels needed in Harlem as well. I think um, there's just, a, a, you know, the, the Studio Museum of Harlem has a new uh, um, uh, f- facility. The National Black Theater uh, is, is going to be reconstructed in a building that L&M is doing. So we have a, a ways to go yet. And I think the, the revitalization uh, of our community is just starting. And... Uh, in line with the development of the real estate, what I like to see happening is the development of the black economy, right? This should be done in a way in which folks from Harlem, black and brown entrepreneurs from this community should participate in the wealth creation aspect of developing all this real estate. There's no reason why if we're buying, you know, services and you're hiring uh, folks to come in and, and, and do carpentry work that we can't find ways to do it from our community. If electricians, painters, plumbers, uh, you know, attorneys, architects, accountants, all of those trades exist within our communities. We should be intentional in leveraging them so that they can also participate in the redevelopment of the community, but also reap the economic benefits of doing so. Fantastic. Fantastic. What were some of the major challenges you had uh, in uh, developing uh, this project and how did you overcome them? Well, there's no shortage of challenges. So, you know, this project, uh, we got in uh, in the spring of 2011, but it had been distressed because of everything Steve had gone through. Uh, coming out of the economic downturn. So we had to take care of a lot of cleanup and restructure the project. And we're lucky to have the support of Empire State Development and uh, overriding zoning and being able to build a project that exceeds the zoning envelope uh, mm-hmm. that had just been redrawn in Harlem through a, a 125th Street rezoning. But it was worthwhile because in order to bring all the benefits that I've spoken about, you know, mixed income housing, employing people from the community, uh, giving contracts to local uh, companies and minority companies and all these hiring. So, like, we we needed to be able to create enough economic benefit through upzoning the project to pay for all these things. Um, And ESD was helpful in that. We... Uh, once we started construction, I'll tell you the very first thing we encountered was we had to get what's called a dewatering permit as a part of uh, development because you know what folks when folks think about a river, folks always think about a river that you can see that runs above ground, but there are plenty of rivers that run below ground, right? And so we got uh, we did some topographical studies and we did uh, some uh, preliminary borings. And we knew there was a small river underneath the site. And mm. we got a dewatering permit to dewater 50,000 gallons a day. Really? So we'd have to like have pumps. It would be, you know, they literally pump the water out and we that water would be discharged into the sewer. Uh, but we thought that that was 50,000 gallons a day. And that allows us to drop the water table enough where we can pour the foundation and do all the subterranean uh, infrastructure and structural work that we need to do to build the building. As soon as we got into construction, we found out that it wasn't, we didn't need to dewater 50,000 gallons a day. 
we need to dewater 500,000 gallons a day, half million gallons a day, 10x. And um, so the thought of dewatering uh, 500,000 gallons a day and drop so we could drop the water table enough to pour our foundation while being adjacent to the 120-year-old Apollo Theater was challenging because if you drop the water table too quickly, we could literally cause the foundation of the Apollo, the rubble rock foundation, to drop and collapse with the, with, with the water table. Really? So be very careful there. Um, these are things that people don't typically see or think about if you're not in this business. But um, that was uh, a, an initial challenge. And then, of course, as we were designing, other issues came up. COVID by itself was the major, <laughs> major issue because we had to uh, refinance the project in the middle of COVID. So imagine having to refinance a project with a hotel when no one was staying at hotels. The hotels were literally going bankrupt and going out of business. And we have to go to the market with no hotel revenue, no guests, uh, when no one in the world wanted to touch uh, financing or lending to a hotel. But we got it done. Raise capital. And who, believed, to... who believed in you at that time? Well, we were able to, again, this comes, uh, I think, back to leveraging my Wall Street background and being able to tell the right story and demonstrate the right economic projections and to really find the, the groups that would want to take exposure to the project who believe that the world would come back to normal eventually. And now we're beyond COVID. <laughs> that has happened. But also, uh, you know, when we started, Goldman Sachs was our, our initial lender. And I had to, you know, give a shout out to Goldman Sachs because they did what uh, no one else would do. They believed in the story in the beginning. Just getting people to believe you could do a full service, world class hotel in Harlem was not easy to do, you know, way before COVID, right? But Goldman thought, uh, that it was a very good idea. They believed in the residential. They believed in the arts. They believed in the hospitality and the hotel components. So they were able to provide one loan across all those different components and simplify our lives rather than having to involve several different lenders and investors. And um, we we refinanced their loan termed out. We refinanced them out with a private equity group who mm -hmm. came in uh, during COVID. Very expensive money, but we had to do it. And, um, you know, but we're at the end now. And we're happy that we have uh, the facility that we have, and we're going to continue to drive value and make sure that uh, we uh, operate this facility to the to the pleasure of all of our guests, our residents, you know, members of the community, our employees, the employees, the arts organizations that uh, also uh, participate there and support us. I met Christina Lamb. How um, how did they get involved, the Lamb Group? So, you know, Exact Capital, our background is really in multifamily residential. And we did not have a previous um, background in hospitality. But the Lamb Group is a venerable hotel operator and developer in Manhattan. So John Lamb is the, you know, the patriarchy head of the family. And uh, I think of the key principle there. And we were able to uh, get their interest on the way in because Goldman, you know, uh, again, my lender loved the project, but they, you know, and I think rightfully so, wanted to have someone involved in a project or hospitality experience. So we're able to, uh, in your, the interest of the land group, they, you know, they're in the project with us and, um, uh, you know, I think we're all pretty happy with uh, the results that we you know, created together. Finally, what legacy do you hope the Renaissance New York Harlem Hotel will leave for the Harlem community? The legacy should be um, providing to Harlem the dignity that it deserves. Just to think, when we were on the front end, front end of this, trying to get this hotel financed. We had to do a bunch of economic analysis and feasibility studies 
we did a uh, what's called a hotel market study. Don't you know, Upper Manhattan has a population larger than the city of Denver or Seattle or Boston, but wow. no one thought we were worthy of a hotel. Right? Incredible. We could have, we could have, uh, and it's still this is still the case. One Twenty Fifth Street is the second most visited international tourist destination in the city after Statue of Liberty. Really, the second, the second most by New, by NYC and Company, the second most. But again, we weren't thought to be worthy of a hotel. G Key, you probably know this. If you, if you know, in, in days gone by, if you went to the Saint Nicholas Jazz Pub at two in the morning up on Saint Nick and One Forty Seventh Street, open the doors full of white people. That's right, and and buses right? and buses out there, and, and big buses of, of tourists who want to come and enjoy jazz. Uh, and experience, you know, some jazz greats authentically. But again, we're not worthy of a hotel. So this facility, I'm glad it's built, but I think it really demonstrates to everyone in a very clear and concise way that this, our culture, our community is world-class. We certainly, uh, des you know, deserve to have more developments like this that generate economic activity that allow, mm -hmm. um, you know, folks to experience Harlem in a, in a classic way and to drive all the economic benefits that come along. Fantastic. Well, Craig, uh, I want to thank you so very, very much for being our special guest today and, and letting our audience know about the uh, Renaissance New York Harlem Hotel and all of its uh, grandeur and, uh, and what it represents to the Harlem community and to uh, the fact that uh, a, a Black person was the, the focal point of getting it done. That's important to our community. And so, Craig, we want to thank you so very, very much for being on What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alex. Alexander. And to all of my uh, fans, uh, I'd like to ask you if you have anything you'd like to say to them. Uh, well, G. Keith, that's what I'm just saying. Thank you for keeping Harlem hot, keeping the focus <laughs> on Harlem and uh, for all that you do to promote our, you know, our community. That's so nice of you to say. Thank you so much, Craig. Ladies and gentlemen, have a great day and a better one tomorrow. <clears throat> I've got a frog in my throat. And don't judge your brother or sister too harshly to walk the mile in his or her shoes. And remember, life is tough, but you're tougher. I'll see you next week. I'm G. Keith Alexander on What's Hot Harlem America. Thank you. Thanks for listening to What's Hot Harlem America with G. Keith Alexander. We'll be back next Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. in New York on the Voice America Variety Channel and the Harlem America Digital Network. Thank you for listening. Oh, oh, oh.